if Chelsea Campoloni killed my brother in a way that shouldn't have done, we don't need to protect her. The public should know every single detail about what happened, and they get to make a decision about this. Hey, folks, welcome to Lights Out Mass, a podcast about government transparency or the lack thereof in Massachusetts. I'm Andrew Comer here with my co-host, Jeff Raymond. I was watching school committee meetings on YouTube over the weekend, and there was somebody who got up and spoke at length about wanting to ban books in their library. But he just was up there with the thickest Boston accent and a Mike Vrabel jersey. And I feel like if that is not the most Southern Massachusetts thing you'll ever see... (laughs) Yeah, we are recording on Monday, October 16th, 2023, and we are not here to talk about banned books. That was our last episode. Go check that out if you are curious. We're here to talk about another uh, important topic to Jeff and myself, which is police transparency. And we're going to be talking about a really important case before the state Supreme Court, the Supreme Judicial Court. And this is going to be a precedent that's really going to determine sort of how much access people have to information about police misconduct and police shootings. And we're actually here today with the plaintiff in that case, the guy who's suing the Bristol County District Attorney's Office, Eric Mack. And Eric's brother, Anthony Hardin, was actually killed by a Fall River police officer in uh, November 22nd, 2021. And he's been on a quest for accountability, including just really what I think is the most basic form of accountability we can have, transparency. And we want to thank you, Eric, for coming on the the podcast. And also, I just want to, you know, offer my condolences for your brother, you know, really tragic circumstances, but it's good that you're at least able to use this as an opportunity for something positive, you know, fighting for a change. Well, thank you both for having me here today. Um, yes, I wish the circumstances were different, but sometimes we are where we are. So I figured I'd sort of give you a little bit of background about the shooting itself, and then maybe we sort of move to talking about the public records lawsuits going on. Yeah, absolutely. But first, you know, why don't you just uh, give a quick intro for yourself, and then maybe okay. you can say a little bit about your brother, you know, who he was, what your relationship yeah. with him was like. Oh, yeah. So my name is Eric Mack. I am actually an attorney myself. I've been practicing for probably 17 years or so, a lot longer than I thought I'd be doing this, but I, I'm still doing this at the same time. And I do employment law, and I'm based pro- primarily in Providence, Rhode Island. I'm from Fall River, Massachusetts. My brother, Anthony Hardin, lived, and he was from Fall River as well. He was my younger brother, 10 years younger. Loved to go skateboarding, loved to spend time with women. Uh, was more of a overgrown kid than anything else, so to speak. So, But yeah, so that's my background and his background. And then, you know, with respect to the shooting, it's, it's sort of a, a very strange way it sort of turned out, actually. My brother had gotten into it with his girlfriend on a Saturday, she left the phone at his house. She went back on Monday to get the phone. The phone was broken. She called the cops to go get the phone. Called the cops because he broke her phone, which is basically broken property or something to that effect, right? Uh, the cops come to his house. They don't have a warrant or anything like that. They knock on his front door. Then they go into his bedroom. And less than two minutes later, they shot him at the foot of his bed and killed him. At that time, my other brother, his twin brother, Anton, was actually across the hall. So he was 
there could hear what was going on, but he couldn't see what was going on. And the only thing my other brother heard was stop resisting and then immediately two shots. And so that whole incident played out in like less than three minutes between when they got there and the shooting took place. So that's the the shooting. But, you know, in terms of the family finding out about it, I think it's, you know, we went down to the police station to figure out what was going on in terms of because we didn't know what was going on and they wouldn't tell us. So they interviewed us, me, my brothers and my sisters, and asked us all kinds of questions about him, his background, without telling us he's passed away at this point in time. And then they start asking us questions about, did he have any weapons in his house? And any weapons, they said, did he have any guns in his house? Did he have any knives in his house? Did he have anything that could be used as a weapon? So they weren't very specific as about what they were looking for, but they were just looking for weapons in general. For somebody like me, that kind of questioning was just, it's just an odd thing to uh, ask questions if you already have a weapon. And then they finally tell us that he's passed away after the an hour or so. And then in the next room down the hall, the girlfriend is there and she's being questioned the same thing. Did he have any weapons? Did he have anything that could be used as a weapon? Can you draw us a map of where the knives are in his house? Right. So they were clearly searching for a weapon. And then immediately after we leave the police station, the district attorney's on TV and he says that there was a knife present at the scene. And once again, that seemed just like an odd way to characterize something. If he didn't say my brother tried to stop him, they didn't say anything that they just said there was a knife present. So these things are all sort of in my head is very odd in peculiar ways to sort of investigate a homicide, uh, so to speak. Fast forward, you know, they do their what I characterize as a perfunctory investigation. And people had realized that investigation is really just them trying to come up with a story that the public will buy. You know what I mean? That That's what their investigation. The Mass State Police are working with the Fall River Police, with the DA's office to get a story together. So a month later, they issued a report. They say my brother tried to stab the police officer repeatedly, and then that the, the female officer shot him. Now, mind you, there was no stab marks on anybody, no scratch marks or anybody, anything like that. But at that time, you know, I really didn't really want to draw any conclusions of what happened. I said, I want to see everything before I say what happened. Yeah, we should be clear. When they released this report, it does not have the names of either of the police officers in it. And what it said was that they were called for, you know, alleged domestic violence. And then he attacked the male officer and a female officer shot your brother, yeah. you know, to... In, yeah. defense of that other officer. Yeah, so two things to say about that. First thing is they say that that's the standard protocol is that they don't release the names of police officers. That's incorrect. The last police shooting, they actually did the release the name of the police officer in the report. And there's no law that says they can't release the names of the police officers at all. So they tried to withhold the names of the police officers who were involved in the shooting. When you then, so at the time they released their report and then I file a, I make a request to see all the information. And despite clearing the officers of any wrongdoing, they say, well, we're still investigating, right? And if they're investigating, that means they don't have to release anything. Yeah, and they had called this they had called this a final report, but then they later said, oh, that was an accident. It's a preliminary report. Yes, and they said no conclusions were expected to change. So either the police officers are cleared or they're not cleared. So once they cleared the police officers, we asked for the information. They said they were still investigating, and that's when I sued them because I was like, I'm not going to play the silly game where you're going to say the investigation is still open, even though they cleared the police officers. So then I filed a public records lawsuit and 
they filed a motion to have the case dismissed on the eve of going to court. They then release all of the documents right before the court date. Um, well, not all of them. Like, yes, that's correct. Not all of them. Not a lot of them, quite frankly. They released what they wanted people to see. And this this is important, too, because not only did they release stuff, what they did is they went to the court and asked the court permission to release anything bad about my brother possible. And what I mean by that is they wanted to his he got in trouble in 2019. They posted everything they could about that. He got into, I don't know, something about property damage four years before that. They wanted the ability to release anything they could about him while simultaneously saying the background of the police officers was irrelevant to the shooting. And, you know, that gives them the ability to paint the story they want, right? There's a bad guy and we have the good guys. The good guys are the police officers who have no name and face, right? And no backgrounds. So at this point, I sued them and I had already known who the police officers were while this was going on because I went to the courthouse and got the search warrant affidavit with had the names of them. And the search warrant Warren affidavit had a completely different story than they wrote in the in the report. And it also had the names in there. So I released the names myself in my my lawsuit. And it's important, the background of the officers was important. The reason that it was important is because one of the officers is the district attorney's son's best friend, has been his best friend since uh kindergarten. Yeah, and we should we should be clear, you're not making that up like the DA was interviewed by the Boston Globe and he acknowledged that this is true, that they were friends, but he claimed that it was irrelevant, basically. Yeah, well, this is the thing. They say the police officers' backgrounds are irrelevant. All right, if it's not relevant, then why don't you tell everybody about it then if it's not relevant? But they were best friends from kindergarten through, through high school, through college, and they were college roommates as well. As I always tell people, I don't have anybody in my life that I've been best friends with from kindergarten through college uh, and was college roommates. That relationship looks stronger than any relationship that I've ever seen by anybody in, that I know of, right? So that's not a usual relationship there. And not to mention that this guy's daughter worked for the district attorney in his office at the time. So that those are those are just the facts. And then the other facts is about the shooter, which is, becomes very problematic in my mind. Um, this is a woman who had five car accidents within 15 months. She was involved in a domestic violence situation of her own, and she was interviewed 10 days before my, the shooting by the Bristol County District Attorney's Office, in which she was pressing charges against a police officer who was a uh, Mass State Trooper, right? They, she was interviewed twice within the last two weeks. She had been going to court. She claimed she was under all this mental stress and was, you know, stressed out and anxiety and all things related to her own situation. And then despite that, they just gave her a gun and said, all right, go ahead and continue to do your job. And then she shoots and kills somebody. So that's also documented in terms of, I believe on October 23rd in Boston, they're going to have a trial on that, which is still ongoing. So the backgrounds of the police officers was clearly relevant to this whole thing, despite them saying to the contrary that it wasn't. And she had asked after the shooting, another police officer am I going to be fired? Which is something they redacted from the records, but they later claimed that was an accident and that they didn't mean to redact it. I think that was on my list, yes. Uh, immediately after the accident, she goes to a sergeant asking if she's going to be fired for what she just did. And the district attorney's office tried to hide it from me. And they got it one place by redacting it and basically blacking it out. And they missed it in another place. And then when we called the, the court's attention to that, 
they, they was like, it's a mistake. We've been trying to be as transparent as possible. Everybody makes mistakes, basically. And I was like, it's coincidentally that you made a mistake of one of the base, one of the most uh, <laughs> problematic statements from this person that you just happened to redact it. Yeah, and it's very easy for them to say after the fact we made a mistake because they missed it in one spot when in reality probably their mistake was not redacting it in both places. It, that was their mistake, and the mistake is they got caught with doing it right. So um, the part yes. that kills me about that it's like it's like you know the the whole the whole idea of you don't talk to police if they think you're you're you know you're in trouble because you don't want to be on record as saying. Am I getting in trouble for for what you're alleging here? You know, it's the opposite direction on it. They would never let that not be heard out in open court, shouted from the rooftops. They would have been everything that my brother ever said it did, everything we ever said it did. I mean, we've been in interviews with them and they interviewed us before we knew he was dead. And they asked us all kinds of questions. Then they twisted out their words and said that we said things that we didn't say. And all of these interviews are recorded, right? So in my mind, the easy way to clear these discrepancies up is release the interviews, right? I, I want my interview released. They won't give me my own interview. They say it's confidential and private. And I was like, well, this is my privacy rights. I want to waive them. I want I want my interview. And they're like, no, right? And they say that across the board for all of the witnesses. We're not going to give you your own interviews. Yeah, which is very particularly ridiculous because the, the sort of main reason why you withhold investigatory interviews is because essentially people might not be willing to come forward and give an interview if it could be released to the public. And if the person who did the interview wants it, then it's all like you could have the opposite effect. Like if someone knows that their words could be twisted and there's nothing they could do to prove that they didn't really say that, why would anybody want to cooperate with the police? Like it's it's like it's totally backwards. Yeah, I mean, when they talk to sometimes they tend to say that somebody admitted during the interview that they committed the murder, whatever, however you want to characterize that. Unless I see it from my own eyes at this point in time, I'm not going to believe things like that because I was in the room and they said I said and did things that I didn't say and do, right? Or that they've taken and twisted to make it fit their narrative. And I was always in the depression. These things could be cleared up fairly quickly by just releasing everybody's interviews about what happened. And they just refused to do it simultaneously they refused to release the officer interviews of what they said now there's a statement in the report that says that she said am i going to get fired right well not in the report in one of in one of the reports not the quinn report but something else they released that was a discussion right i don't know what else she you, sorry i just want to you mentioned quinn yes you're referring to the district attorney that's uh, thomas quinn he's the uh, bristol county da for a number of years now yeah that is correct and so what i mean by that they did not redact that one line. I'm sure that was part of a longer conversation. And that's not the only thing she said. All right. What was the question? What was the answer? So I'm trying to figure out exactly what happened and who said what. And they refused to give me the interviews of the police officers, basically saying those they, that they're confidential and they're not public information. And the two other things, uh, one of two are fairly significant. There's surveillance video of this incident. And people are always like, well, the incident happened in his bedroom the surveillance videos of the front porch, why is that relevant to the shooting? It's relevant because of how there was actually a quote-unquote discovery of the knife here. Uh, and what I mean by that is when the people responded to the scene, the paramedics and other police officers, they denied that my brother had a knife, right? Yeah, can I can I just read this passage? Um, this is yep. from by Ben Burke from The Public's Radio. Uh, he's a reporter who does a lot of coverage of the Fall River Police 
So he talks at one point you had uh, sent a letter notifying the police department that you were intending to possibly sue them for civil rights violations against your brother. And he says the note at your notice raised numerous allegations of misconduct and called attention to the quote extremely suspicious unquote location of the steak knife Hardin allegedly used to attack the officers. The knife was marked as evidence behind a television set on the opposite side of the room from Hardin's body. An initial set of records released by the DA's office paints an unclear picture of how and when the knife was moved. A state trooper assigned to the DA's office, Christopher Johnson, filed an initial report saying emergency responders found the knife when they turned Hardin's body over to treat his gunshot wounds. However, two paramedics who transported Hardin to the hospital did not recall seeing the knife anywhere, according to redacted reports released by the DA's office. An unnamed Fall River police officer who arrived after after the shooting said he found the knife under a pile of picture frames blocking the doorway to Hardin's bedroom. After leaving the scene, the same unnamed officer called back to report that he moved the knife and placed it on a desk, according to the redacted reports released by the DA's office. So we have conflicting information about how this knife was discovered, by whom it was discovered, where it was located, um, and whether it was even near his body at all. So there are no pictures that show that there was a knife near my brother. There's no evidence that there was a knife ever near my brother. What happens is after the shooting takes place, they have no warrant, by the way, when they go there or enter his house. So after they, the, the, he's removed from the residence, an officer goes in, apparently by himself, and does what he calls a secondary walkthrough and sees a knife behind a television set. And to give you the description, it's on a it's on a desk. It's a 70 inch TV on a desk. And behind that TV on the desk is where they said they put the knife. And it's like amongst a million different things. And that officer sees it there. And then just coincidentally, another officer uh, calls back later and says that knife behind a TV earlier in the night, I put it there. I mean, it was originally near Anthony, right? But that's, you know, no one else saw him do that. There were other police officers in there. They didn't see him do it. Um, the paramedics were there. They didn't see that happen. So there's literally a discovery of the knife hours after the actual incident took place between these two officers and it was discovered behind his television. So, yeah, so, you know, that story, quite frankly, I don't believe but what's important about that is there's surveillance video that shows what happened and they refuse to release the surveillance video. They say that surveillance video is confidential. We can't show people's faces and things like that. And it's, it's of the public. So and they, they won't release it. Yeah. And so we should get into why with the DA's legal arguments here. So in public records law, as Jeff and I have talked about before, everything is presumed public, but we have these exemptions and if a government agency like the DA's office can cite a applicable exemption and make a reasonable case for why it applies to a record, then they can either withhold the record in its entirety, or in some cases they will have to provide the record, but they can redact specific information. In this case, the DA's office was citing exemptions C and F. And so exemption C, we're probably just going to call that the privacy exemption for the rest of the podcast and exemption F we'll call that the investigatory exemption. So exemption C, uh, the privacy exemption is, you know, as you would imagine, it's all about protecting people's personal privacy. But in this case, 
the so people whose privacy they're supposedly trying to protect are police officers who are at their jobs, you know, EMTs who work for the government also at their jobs. And it's just been recognized that they have, you know, a very diminished expectation of privacy when they're at work doing government jobs. And especially, you know, in case of police, they're carrying guns and, you know, they can arrest people. And in this case, they killed someone. And for the investigatory exemption, this is supposed to protect the integrity of an ongoing investigation generally. And once the investigation is closed, you're usually supposed to release the information. There are some cases where you can withhold information after the exemption is closed, but that's generally limited to when you would reveal sort of a confidential, what's called confidential investigative techniques. Well, the, the investigatory techniques, so like if you had a confidential informant, Right. Yeah, you could protect their name so that they could be used in future cases or whatever. It's not the process in which we hide a knife behind a television set. It's a <laughs> yeah um, crazy. And, and 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 to be to be clear about that, the uh, my understanding is that the the map that uh, that his girlfriend drew about where the knives were. She told them that he kept the knife behind his television, and she drew a map where it had where that was knife was located. And then I believe after that, they went back in, saw it there and then said they put it there. Uh, but we also, just to be clear, we don't actually have that because it's one of the records that they're withholding, correct? I have the map. Oh, you do? Okay. I do have the map that they had her draw. What I what I, what I don't have this time is the exact timeline about when he went back in the house. Uh -huh. So we're not 100% sure whether that took place after or not. Yeah. But you, you uh, suspect that it's related Yes, but to the to the point. So we filed a public records lawsuit. Yeah, that was in February of last year, correct? That was in February of twenty twenty two. That is correct. You know, they they filed initially a motion to dismiss on the eve of the court hearing it. They then released all the most of the information that they wanted to, and then we sort of proceeded through the whole process. And I don't know if you want me to tell you about what the exemptions they were raising specifically or just the fact you know we won totally at the yeah let me let, let me just summarize that because yeah. i think once we yep. get to the supreme judicial court we can sort of talk about all those arguments but basically yep. this this is heard in suffolk county superior court by judge james boudreau and he basically sided with you on like literally everything he said that really the only record i think it was like a copy of your brother's social security card and something some like something about like a medical card or medical information so this was like genuinely private information but other than that like every every video every photograph every report every name that you guys were saying was public the judge sided with you so this was a total victory and the judge also later ordered the the DA's office to pay your attorney's legal fees. I think you guys had asked for around 55,000. He gave you 44,000, so most of what you had asked for. And you had also said that the DA had acted in bad faith by withholding all this information. And the judge kind of, he, he agreed with you, but he also said that since they released a lot of the information, you know, on their website and they, they did try to cooperate to some extent, he limited it to the lowest amount of damages possible, which was a thousand dollars. The highest would only be like 5,000. So it's not like, not really going to break the bank for them or anything, but he, he did find that this was egregious enough that they had acted in bad faith and that they should be subject to punitive damages for it. So yeah. 
it, this was a, a fairly short opinion by the judge, but total total victory for you. But you know, the DA, just to be clear, it's the DA that filed this appeal because they said, you know, we're not gonna allow this judge to tell us we've got to release all these records. They asked the Supreme Judicial Court for what's called direct appellate review. That's when you skip the appeals court, which normally you would have to appeal to the appeals court before you go to the Supreme Judicial Court. But the Supreme Judicial Court sometimes will say some legal issue is so important that it's probably gonna go to us anyway, so we might as well take it up. And they agreed to take up this case from the DA's office. And so that brings us to all these crazy legal arguments that the DA has been making, which I, like, I gotta tell you, I read their brief the other day and not impressed. <laughs> So yes, they find the DA's office a thousand bucks and then they orders forty five thousand dollars. But one thing I want to highlight for the everybody here is like most people don't have the ability to fight the DA's office and pay fifty five, sixty thousand dollars, sixty thousand dollars to prevail, right? So if they do this to most people and they say we're not going to get it, you'll never get it, right? No matter what the other evidence shows. So it's important for everybody to realize like it's a costly thing to do it. And it shouldn't be this, this process shouldn't work this way. Yeah, like I've said this, I've said this before, but these, these lawsuits, it's like, okay, you can get paid after the fact, but the, and, you know, get your attorney's fees paid. But first of all, you got to find an attorney who's willing to wait like a year or two, you know, or three or yep. however many it takes to go through the case to get paid. They're, they're not going to get paid the full amount, like your attorneys uh, missed out on, I think about $11,000. And, you know, on top of it, just most people aren't going to sue as you mentioned so this is this is sort of like a gambling situation for them but it's like a house always wins situation it's like we deny this records request and maybe we'll get sued but we're probably not going to get sued so it's fine 99 percent of the time and then if we do get sued just taxpayer money anyway you know it's like we're not like it's not like we're losing anything of value it's just other people's money and so what do we care about it you know it's like as yeah. long as we get to do the, the what's important to us which is delaying the release of these records for as long as possible you know then it's all good you know we don't really care how much taxpayer money we spend so pretty much that's that's the case and you started talking about the, their briefs and you know one part of their brief really struck me as indicative of what's going on here the attorney for the bristol county bristol county district attorney's office says something to the effect of sometimes public employees fail at least they tried when they did the job and we need to protect them right and i read that to say you're protecting somebody who may have done a bad job but because they're a public employee we need to try to protect them if Chelsea Campoloni killed my brother in a way that shouldn't have done, we don't need to protect her. The public should know every single detail about what happened, and they get to make a decision about this. And the flip side of that is, first of all, I just want to point out, you just mentioned the officer's name, Chelsea Campoloni, and then the other officer who was the one who was alleged to have been attacked by your brother was Michael Sullivan. That's correct. And I, I just want to point out that you guys mention their their names quite a few times in your brief because we we know the names they're public and yet the da is playing this game where they won't acknowledge the names in their brief like they've acknowledged that they've been released but they won't say them and they're arguing that they don't have to provide them in their records because it's private even though everybody already knows the names and just to be clear those are not the only names they're hiding but it's just it shows how preposterous this whole thing is that they're spending taxpayer money to hide information that isn't even 
isn't even like hideable like we already know who these people are and and it's it's really it's the principle of the thing like they don't want to accept that they will have to release names in the future so they're like really you know trying to argue that it's like the principle of the thing no, all i was going to say is in an article i believe in lawyers weekly district attorney tom quinney was like i haven't been hiding the names of any officers i've been completely transparent everybody knew who they were and i pointed to the fact that i was like you won't even say what their names are in your briefs Never mind to the public. Like you have not been transparent. Yeah, and the other thing I want to say is, is you mentioned if the employees did something wrong, we deserve to know all about it because they're public employees. The flip side of that is, if they didn't do anything wrong, but you're hiding all this information, and we we have questions about like where did this knife come from, all this stuff. People are speculating. They want to know what the truth is. You need to release the information so that we can find out all the information and you know maybe maybe it turns out they didn't do something wrong well you're not doing the officers any favors by making it look like you have something to hide if they didn't do anything wrong so the the best policy here is to release the information and you can you can write your report that says they didn't do anything wrong but at the end of the day you have to let the public look at this and judge for themselves whether you're doing the right thing or not that's the only the only way out of this situation where people are going to be questioning your judgment questioning your integrity questioning whether the police are acting the way they should be that that's the only you know reasonable expectation that the public can have is transparency and quite frankly, I, I believe they're, the public's entitled to that. You know, we're not asking for anything beyond actually the evidence related to the investigation. I mean, if you think about it for a second, like body cams, everybody always talks about body cams as sort of the panacea for this issue. The district attorney's office don't have to release the body cams to anybody, right? They don't have to police the surveillance video to anybody. A police officer could kill somebody and there could be video of it. And the district attorney's office says, we looked at it. We don't think there's anything here. The public doesn't get to see it. And that's one of the things that I think should be pointed out to the public is like, this is an issue that's really going to be going forward. Do they get to keep the videos when a police officer kills somebody? Do they get to release the names of a police officer kills somebody? If they get to keep everything they want, then they get to write their own narrative, regardless of what the truth is, because they can release only what they want to. That is the part that kind of broke my brain when I was reading the briefs. One of the quotes that I had pulled from it was, um, more significantly, the officers were not accused of misconduct. All fatal shootings must be investigated. A death investigation is not an accusation. And then later on, the DA um, parsed it very, very weirdly. He said that it's not the policy of the uh, DA's office to release the names of those, quote, not arrested, accused of misconduct, or charged with a crime. Because they're arguing, essentially, they've investigated, they've found no wrongdoing, there's nothing to see here. An argument they made, another argument they made was that you, so you want these interviews. And so just to be clear, you're seeking in your lawsuit, you, so you had mentioned earlier that you want your own interview, but your lawsuit is actually only seeking interviews with the police and the EMTs because they're public employees. And there is kind of this distinction about whether interviews with the public can be released versus interviews with government officials. And they had made this argument that, well, you don't really need these interviews because we already summarized what was said in our report. And I mean, that's the whole point. You you released a summary, but we don't want a summary. We want to know what they actually said. What you're saying is we'll give you what we want 
and that's all you get. You don't get to have everything. You get what we want to show you. And you know, maybe you're showing us the truth, but we don't know that if you're hiding all this other information about what was said. And it just really shows that this is about keeping the public in the dark. Well, I, I want to say, so first of all, their logic is circular, right? We didn't find anything here, so you don't get to see the rest of it, right? So we're going to clear the police officers. Now you don't get to see us. That's sort of circular logic. Mm -hmm. But to, to, to take a step back from all of that, what they're going to give you what we want you to know, right? And so the, the report clearing the police officers by Tom Quinn doesn't, meant, doesn't mention where the knife is discovered. It actually mentions, sort of describes it in a different place. Doesn't mention the fact that it was discovered afterwards. Doesn't mention the fact that the other police officers denied that there was ever a knife. Doesn't mention the fact that the paramedics denied that there was a knife. You know, it doesn't mention the fact that the police officer who discovered the knife, or at least says he placed it there, did it hours later after driving in a car with one of the people involved in the shooting. Doesn't mention the fact that she said, oh, am I going to get fired after that happened? So he's extracted all of the negative facts from this story and created a completely different narrative about what transpired. That's not the truth. And so that's why the public needs to see everything. Yeah. And I mean, another argument they're claiming for why the, the names have to be private is, is I, I mean, honestly, it, it cracks me up because of how ridiculous it is, but it just shows like the lengths of, of what they'll go through. They, they talk about how basically if you release the names of officers, people could make fun of them on the internet. Like I'm not even making this up. So uh, this is a verbatim quote from one of the briefs. The internet has created a permanent record that is used to cruelly mock people. Any misstep can haunt individuals for decades, both personally and professionally. And that was in their reply brief. And in their initial brief, they made a very similar point. They were complaining that these interviews, people might take a clip from it and post it on TikTok, or they might even talk about it in a podcast, which I guess is what we're doing right now. So, you know, sorry, I guess they proved us right. We're going to make fun of them in a podcast. But I think the important point to make about that is, yeah, people can talk about this stuff on the internet because that's freedom of speech. Like we have the First Amendment right to, once we have this information, to talk about it. And part of that might be that people are going to make fun of these police officers or say negative things about them. But that's that's like how it goes, you know, and they do talk about harassment, uh, potential harassment of the police officers. But uh, you guys mentioned in your brief, I think this is a really important point, is that the names of these two officers, including the one who, who fired the shot that killed your brother, are already public. And in their brief, all they're doing is speculating about what could happen, even though we, we don't have to speculate because we already know that they don't have any any factual basis to claim that they've been harassed or anything because if they did they would have put it in their brief and it just goes to show how how weak this all is and how it's just predicated on the idea that we don't want to look bad so we're going to hide the information that we don't want you to see and only show you the information that we do want you to see yeah two two points to make about that first of us i i made a public records request for the information about my brother they posted everything online, right? For him to be ridiculed, for him to be marginalized. So I didn't ask for them to post it online. I asked for the information personally, and they made an intentional effort to besmirch him by putting everything possibly could badly online about him. And now they're complaining simultaneously, well, we don't want the public to get anything about the police officers online, because that would be bad faith. Now, to your point, though, yes, this parade of horribles that might take place if we release the names of the officers, right? 
yeah, we don't have to speculate. We already know what's going to happen because it's already out there, the names. There's not this something that's going to happen differently unless there is something in there that causes people to see this differently. And if that is the case, then you should not be hiding it because it's just the truth. Yeah, so. exactly. And just to jump back to the point I made earlier, if if the information just shows that the officers acted correctly, then how are people going to use it to against them in the you know the court of public opinion? Like police will always say, if you didn't do anything wrong, what have you got to hide when we want to like search your car or whatever, or we want to question you. But suddenly when the, the, the tables are turned and they've got to release information about something they've done, it's like, oh, well, people are going to make fun of us on the internet. You know, like we can't have that. <laughs> like it's so, so absurd. And I think another important point, Jeff and I have talked about this, the 2020 police reform law, it had this change that has become sort of like a, a flashpoint of public records stuff. And it's it's really come up in your lawsuit. There, so we have this privacy exemption that we've been talking about. And the privacy exemption was specifically exempted, uh, or sorry, it's hard, it's hard to talk about this because it's like an exception to an exception, like you're going to get into double yes. negatives and stuff. So we have this privacy exemption, but they added language to the privacy exemption saying that this exemption does not apply to records related to law enforcement misconduct investigations. So in other words, private it's not private if it's part of a police misconduct investigation and so jeff was talking earlier about how the da was trying to parse this in such a way that oh this isn't a police misconduct investigation even though we were trying to determine whether a police officer committed a crime by killing someone it's really it's just a death investigation because you know we would do that even if even if the person wasn't killed by someone, even if the person they killed wasn't a police officer, we're doing it even though there's no allegation of wrongdoing. But it, I mean, it's hard to make sense of that argument. Like if you're trying to determine whether a crime was committed, I mean, isn't a crime a form of misconduct? It's the most serious form of misconduct. But, but the point being, they are still trying to have it that like the legislature passes very clear language, basically saying, we don't want this privacy stuff to be used as an excuse to not have police transparency. And they're like, well, what if we just play a bunch of word games and say that when we're investigating police misconduct, it's not really police misconduct. And, and another part of their argument that I think is just the most absurd is that we didn't find any misconduct in our investigation. Therefore, post facto, it was not a police misconduct investigation. That's the part that kills me. And I wanted to ask you about this in particular. This was one of my questions was, you know, you've gotten the the feedback from the Fall River police that they they have been cleared of all wrongdoing or or however, however they're phrasing yep. it. How are they then justifying it not being a misconduct investigation if they are outright telling you that they are cleared of misconduct? How do they do that if they didn't investigate it? Like, have they explained that to you at all? Or Well, I, I will say you tell you what their argument, I believe their argument to be is there needs to be a finding of misconduct in order for us to release the information. And once again, it's like we didn't find anything. So therefore, you don't get to see it. Right. There's not a finding of misconduct. So therefore, you don't get to see what's behind the curtain here. Now, the law doesn't say anything about a finding of misconduct. It just is a law enforcement mis law enforcement misconduct investigation. There's no finding necessary there. It means exactly what the law says. And they're trying to read into it words to allow them not to have to give me the information. At the end of the day, there's stuff they just don't want to give me. Yeah. And by the way, for any lawyers uh, listening to this, I know you're a lawyer, Eric, but this <laughs> is 
this is why people hate lawyers. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> there are plenty, plenty of great lawyers out there, you know, doing important work like your lawyer, Howard Friedman. But, you know, when people try to, when lawyers try to play these language games to try to like get out of something that is just so clear cut, like that is why people don't like lawyers. You know what I mean? <laughs> Well, it, 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 and to, to put a, a little finer point on this, you know, I've been doing this for 17 years, right? Some of the things I've seen the Bristol County District Attorney's Attorney Office do, I have never seen another attorney do in my life. Go to a motion to dismiss hearing and at the hearing say, you know what, we're not going to go forward with that anymore. We're going to withdraw it. Been doing it 17 years, never seen somebody do that in their life. You'd get sanctioned for it. A lot of the stuff they are doing, first of all, is taxpayer money, so it doesn't cost them anything. They don't really have any clients. So they can do things that other attorneys would never, ever imagine doing. So th there's like an ethical issue here I have, which is like, so say you're a, a criminal defense lawyer, you get a client, it's your job to represent that client. And like, they could go to jail. So you got to do everything you can. Like you might be throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks, but that's your job. Like you got to go to bat for that person. But like when we're talking about a government agency in a civil case, they are choosing to make these arguments like they are not doing it because like some bad consequence is going to befall them if they don't do this they're doing it because they want to like they want this outcome they want this policy outcome they want for whatever reason you know because perhaps it's because they have such a close working relationship with these police officers they want this policy outcome where there's no police transparency they want it so that when police kill people they just get to write a report and you know be done with it and you know nobody even knows who the cops are they just want to say you know cops killed a bad guy and you know they didn't do anything wrong so just forget about it nothing bad happened let's move on and Back the blue they they're going to spend taxpayer money on it and it's just it's an it's like a it's it's you're right like it's an ethical issue because there's no sort of like you know fifth amendment you know you're entitled to a lawyer thing here this is just them choosing to do this and i just want people to be aware of that so a few things there one as as a district attorney you know you have a different obligation than you do the citizens are the client so to speak and quite frankly i'm his client as as screwed up as this whole process is right if you flip who shot my brother to somebody else and made that shooter some other citizen we would not be having this conversation. He'd probably be having a press conference with me, taking pictures, showing how he's supportive of my family. When it's a police officer, the roles are completely reversed, and now their their goal is to protect them at all costs, right? So that's what's happened here, and, and that's what always happens. And that's why you don't find police officers get charged with crimes, because the district attorneys will basically represent the police officers in order to get them off, absent some some you know, camera video footage that shows that there's no other argument to be made. So, yes, they are doing this. And I, to some extent, it's unethical because as a district attorney, you're supposed to uh, support the truth for everybody in society. And you represent the good. You're not supposed to just win. You're supposed to do what's right. And that's yeah, exactly. why, I, yeah, they're doing things that are completely um, against what they're supposed to be doing at this point in time. Yeah, and I guess one other point on that, which is like a lot of so some of the cases they cited, this really struck me. Part of their argument is they don't want the police to be afraid to do these recorded interviews. And they cited this case called DGM Batista, where the court said it's important for these to be recorded. And this was a case where a where police officers had coerced someone into a false confession and the court was saying we need to record these so that if there's like a false confession allegation we can look at what 
techniques the police used. And there were other uh, cases cited. I think one was about like the privacy implications of releasing the video. And it was like a case where police had like put a camera outside someone's house for weeks or months and were like surreptitiously recording them. And they were saying that's why they, they this was a case where the, the court said you need a warrant to do this. And they're saying, oh, well, that's basically the same thing as if we released this surveillance video from outside this guy's house for like a couple hours. And it just struck me the irony of this where remember these are from criminal cases so these are district attorneys who are fighting and saying we don't want these procedural protections we don't want to have to get a warrant we don't want to have to like record some cops like you know bullying a guy into a false confession or you know and then when they they fight those cases tooth and nail they lose them and then they turn around and we're like oh actually what these mean is that we don't have to be transparent when a cop kills someone just the irony of it is so incredible and it just really really struck me it's, it's just incredible we're dealing with police officer shootings and, and engaged in misconduct the, the everything is absolutely reversed to what the normal situation would be and the district attorneys move from investigating and finding out the truth to doing everything they can to police to protect the police officers. And that's just the truth of what, what is going on here. The the neighbor who had the surveillance video gave it to them, right? So they could look at. And you're looking at police officers doing their job. This isn't just some place where people are just walking through or strolling through living their normal day. It's a homicide investigation with police tape on it showing what happened at that door, right? So the fact that they're like, well, people might be walking through where you put the yellow tape just to, you know, on a Sunday stroll is just absurd, right? Yeah. When and and even if there are people who are unrelated to the investigation, it's like you can't just like blur their faces and show us everything else. Like we can't see the police going in and out of the building. You know, we don't like it, yeah. like you're going to tell, tell us the entire video is exempt and you're going to compare it. Remember, this is a video of like I think it was like two or three hours long from yep. a, pu a public area you know there's like a public street it was like not a surreptitious video it was someone's private home surveillance camera and you're going to compare that to the police secretly installing a camera outside someone's house and recording them for like an extended period of time without a warrant as part of a criminal investigation like it's just absurd yeah yeah i mean i don't want to say they just don't want to give it to me <laughs> i mean like you know they're going to do everything in their power not to give me that surveillance video and the longer this goes on, the more it feels like they are hiding something. And I don't know how to draw any other conclusions other than there's something they don't want me to see. Right. I mean, thus far, the things that they have given me have not corroborated the story they initially told. And I'm assuming whatever else is left in that block, that black box will continue to undermine their story that they've, they've been trying to tell. So that's sort of where we are right now. I think we have oral argument either December 4th or six of this coming year and then hopefully we'll get a an opinion from the supreme court by early next year but you know that's over two years they've sort of drug this out without being able to give me the actual evidence so <clears throat> i connected with you because your name started coming up when you filed the lawsuit when i was trying to get the post records from all these departments all of a sudden just to for the background post is the peace officer standards and training commission this is the police regulatory agency that uh, was created in by the 2020 police reform law to oversee the certification of police. Someday I'll remember that people may tune in for the first time. <laughs> um, so either way, they were talk about throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks. 
the departments that continued to withhold records back in August and September started then referring to Eric Mack versus the DA. And I was like, well, this is new. This is different. And that's how we connected from this. And it's interesting because the the public records division out of the Secretary of State's office is having nothing to do with it. They are they are shooting that down very quickly to their credit. But, you know, I kind of wonder, Eric, where, you know, you're kind of setting up a nice precedential thing one way or the other on this beyond, you know, clearing up all these misconceptions. I'm kind of curious as to, you know, how you feel about where where this sits in the in the in the sense of the public records stuff and how this might really change how police reporting happens in the next decade. Well, so the first, if you ever, I will tell you when this first happened, I assumed that after the shooting, they would give me everything and it would say exactly what they said. None of that has proven to be true, right? None of it has proven to be true. So it's unfortunate that I'm still here almost two years later, still fighting this fight. But the ability, the fact is that I can fight it and I will continue to fight it. So so you you went into this thinking like this is going to be difficult for me, but there's going to be negative information about my brother in here. Is that what you're well, saying? I went into it thinking, well, I'm going to take a step back here. There were two things that stood out in my mind the night of the uh, actual incident. The questions they asked me about whether there were any weapons at all, right? Not knives. They talked about guns, everything possible. So that made me think then, well, why are you asking these questions if you have a knife? And then the district attorney's immediate statement saying there was a knife present, which was like, you didn't say he tried to stab him. You didn't say he had, you just said it was present. He was in his house. So of course it was present. So I will say that those two things stood out to me as strange, but you know, I assumed that they were going to tell me the truth, <laughs> and then they were gonna, then they were gonna be like, hey, by the way, the investigation's closed. Here's everything you get. You know, you get to look at it all. It says exactly what we told you it would say. But what I'm saying is, they're not giving it to me. What they mm-hmm. have released hasn't said anything near what they said initially. All right. Yeah. So you know. So with that said, I think it's very important that I bring this fight to its conclusion. Because there are a lot of families out there, a lot of them don't ever find out who shot their loved one, right? Because there are district attorneys out here saying we don't have to release the name, which is not true at all, right? So I would like to get it to the point where all of these sort of ambiguities come to a head, there's decisions on it, and then we as a community can move forward with actually clear some level of clarity to the law here. Yeah, and that that would be a good place to end, but there's actually one other thing I want to talk about. You know, there's a lot of arguments in these briefs and, you know, we're talking dozens of pages and we, we haven't been able to get to them all just because there's, you know, so much background to cover and there's so many arguments. I am going to be writing an article about this, so maybe I can get into some detail about some other arguments that were brought up, but there is one in particular I wanted to mention. It ties back to what Jeff was talking about with the Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission. So. For background, the the post commission, it built this database of complaints against police officers and Jeff and I did a whole episode about this what they ended up doing was creating this extremely limited database where you would only get sustained complaints. So these are complaints where someone filed a complaint against an officer with that officer's department. The department does the investigation and says, yes, the officer did, in fact, do something wrong. You don't get any of the complaints where they cleared the officer or whether they said, sorry, we couldn't find enough evidence or any of that stuff. So we don't know. Maybe there's an officer who's gotten like 20 complaints, but he's been cleared in all of them. And that could raise some red flags. We don't have that in the post database. But 
the the reason I bring all this up is because another one of the DA's arguments is that only the post commission should be allowed to release information about police misconduct investigations. And this is, I, I mean, I'll just say, I, I, this is such a poorly reasoned argument. Like if you read it in the brief, there's like no real, there's such a, a, a there's, it's like only a few pages long and there's a really just, it's a really bare bones argument. They're not citing any like uh, precedent for any of this stuff. They're just like, well, obviously if the legislature made the post commission and told them to make this database, they meant that nobody else can release the information. And that's just absurd because the point of the public records law is you can go to any government agency and you can get records from them. And you're not supposed to be able to exempt anything unless it's specifically, you know, exempt by one of these exemptions. And there is something called the statutory exemption, exemption A. And it says that if something is, it's not in a like public records exemption, but it's in another law that specifically exempts it or by uh, necessary implication exempts it, then it's exempt, which is just not the case here. Like the legislature, not only did they not say these records can only be released by the post commission. They actually, as we were talking about earlier, they changed the privacy exemption to talk about how it doesn't apply to police misconduct records. And like, how would that make sense if only the post commission gets to decide when these records get released? It's just like, it's it just, it's totally contradictory. The internal logic of it is contradictory. It makes absolutely no sense. And it was, it was a point Jeff and I made during that podcast, which is like, the as I called it, the sort of like law enforcement establishment in Massachusetts is like seeing this police reform law is like a great reset. Like we're going to take this law and say, oh, we have all these new laws about police and we've got to figure out what they mean. And we're going to try to like roll back the transparency that already existed prior to this law by just trying to parse this law in such a strained, completely one sided, ridiculous way. And, and I think that's exactly what's going on here is they want to take this, this law and say, oh, it, it's got to mean something that, that, that it's got to mean whatever we want it to mean, because if it doesn't, you know, what, what are we going to do? We have to start releasing records, you know? Well, well so, yeah, they, they're taking a, a law geared to its police transparency and trying to make make it less transparent. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's what they're literally trying to do here. Right. So the whole spirit of the law they're undermining immediately. The second thing is, and you first brought this up, they actually changed a part of the public records law to give you more access, right? And so and then they're trying to say, well, that other part of it actually undermines the part that we tried to give you more access for, mm -hmm. right? Like it, 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 it exempts itself to some extent. And then, you know, there is the third part of this is the post, the commission is actually subject to the public records law, right? Exactly, yeah. Right? So... And there is some guidance from the supervisor of records that says if the law uh, subjects itself to the public records law, we're not going to say that that law ex is an exempting law from the public records law. So basically, we're not going to say that the public record law is exempted by the statute if that statute allows for public records requests, right? Because it's contradictory to itself. So under no circumstances can the law be read as they're trying to argue at this point in time. And even if you just step back and what, look at what the legislature was trying to accomplish, like they're literally trying to say the legislature was trying to accomplish the exact opposite thing. So it's just the worst argument ever. They are see, trying to seize on any ambiguity they can to keep from giving the public records regarding to police 
police law enforcement investigations. And a point uh, your attorney made in your brief is that if there is ambiguity in the public records law, you're supposed to interpret it as making it so you have to disclose the records because the whole point is you read these exemptions narrowly and it's on the, it's the burden of the agency with the records to prove that they're exempt. And yeah. if there's a there's an assumption that a record is public unless you have a really strong showing that it's not. So yeah, you're right. It's like literally like the like most just ridiculous argument you could come up with. And I I guess like this I just want to say like this is such an important case because we I was talking about like this sort of the, this great reset that the police want. They want it so that we had some transparency before. We want to make it so all that's gone and, you know, take this new law and, and read it in such a way that it does what we want it to do. And this is where we're going to find out if the Supreme Judicial Court is going to, you know, not do that, if they're going to really read it in a broad way that gives people access to records. Even though I don't think that the DAs are making a good argument, we still have to find out what the Supreme Judicial Court is going to say. And I do think they've been pretty good on public records cases for the last few years. So, you know, I mean, fingers crossed, let's not curse this thing. I think probably be okay here, but you know, we're, we're not going to know until this case is resolved. So, you know, everybody should be paying attention to this one. Is there anything else that you'd want people to know about this that we didn't talk about today? Anything else you'd like to share? Um, I'd love to have you have the last word on this. If you would have told me I would be going through what I'm going through now, I would have never, ever believed you in a million years. <laughs> I would have never, ever believed you that the uh, government, everybody in government at every level will circle the wagons to collect the police at every turn, regardless of what the truth is. And then, you know, they will pay to a large extent lip service to the words transparency and all those type of things. And they will do nothing to make sure that that actually happens. And as unfortunate as it is, it will cost people hundreds of thousands of dollars just to find the truth. And the last and the one last thing I would say is when they finally file these wrongful deaths lawsuits years after the fact, and then the then the cities give the people money, the taxpayers think that the city paid off somebody that didn't deserve the money. When the truth is that's the first time the truth ever came out is during that lawsuit. And then the government tried to buy that family off. So I've, you know, I've said I wouldn't be bought off and I'm going to take this the entire way and then everybody will see what there is to be seen. We'll go from there. Yeah. And, you know, Eric, again, thanks for being on here again. Condolences for your brother. And also, I just want to say, you know, like we are not uh, we're not like both sides journalists here. We we have a point of view. And you're doing the Lord's work here. We support what you're doing and we really wish you good luck here. You know, like this, again, this is an important case and people should be watching it and they should be really concerned about some of the arguments that the DA is making. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Lights Out Mass. I'm Andrew Clemer. I write the Mass Dump newsletter. That's andrewqmr.substack.com. That's where you can find this podcast. You can also find us on Apple and Spotify. And I'm Jeff Raymond with the Mass Transparency Project in Bramonville Tribune, masstransparency.org, bramonvilletribune.com, or at Twitter, Jeff and Milbury. Our theme music is Sunbleach by Lifeformed. You can find more music at Bandcamp. Sunlight is the best disinfectant.